0: We're all settled now. All right. Come with me, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter three. Proverbs chapter three. Just want to read one verse here as our text this morning. Proverbs chapter three and reading verse thirty-three. The curse of the Lord. Is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. God's desire for the home of the just is to be a blessed place, a haven of rest, an oasis, somewhere that you're glad to come home to. A place where you feel wanted, safe, safe, loved, cared for, admired, respected. It should be the warmest, gladdest, peaceful, the most happiest place in all of your neighborhood if you are the home of the just. Notice here that the writer differentiates between the House of the wicked and the home of the just, because for the just it 's not just a house it 's a home, and the home, the family is god 's institution is it not it 's a a divine ordination, a prerequisite for good within the community. in fact, the health of any community is predicated upon. The health of the homes of the just. The home of the just should be a model within any community. It should be a place that's looked upon as a place of blessing. It should be a showcase for God's blessing. People, uh, we need to uh, emulate to people the blessing of the Lord within our homes. Tragically, however, homes are breaking up at an alarming rate. It's scary, the statistics. If a car manufacturer had the failure rate of marriages, they'd be out of business tomorrow. Imagine if 50% of all the cars they produced broke down and could not be fixed. They would not be in business very long, sure they wouldn't. And even more tragic and sad is the fact that Christian marriages, the homes of the just no less, are also breaking up at an alarming rate. In fact, we're not lagging far behind the secular world in that respect either. And yet the scriptures do say that God blesses the home of the just. So what is happening? Where are we going wrong? How come we are failing in this respect? Let me give you some reasons. To some people, the home is just—it's just a pit stop. It's just somewhere where you refuel. Some people it's hardly ever there. They don't spend much time at home. So many other things has come into their lives that is taking up all of their time and effort. To some, it's just a place of pressure, paying the bills. Meeting the needs, mortgages, rents, raising a family on limited resources, all of that can amount to pressure, 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 till debt us do part. Many, many families have fallen apart over no other reason than the mountain of debt that they were under and the pressure that that brings into a home is immense and into others. The home is just a continual problem, fights, rows, verbals, arguments, division, strife, harsh words continually spoken, frosty atmospheres for days on end, all vision and no sound. Now all of us has had moments of all vision and no sound ever trifle, but for some it can go on for days and even weeks. Sally and I knew a couple many years ago. And they hadn't spoken for years and years and years and they lived in the same house. And sometimes the atmosphere is not frosty, but it's hot. <laughs> really hot. <laughs> Somebody said they didn't believe in flying saucers to get married. <laughs> I make a confession to you. Of course, this was before we were saved. <laughs> <clears throat> I maybe shouldn't make this confession, because <laughs> this image will be <laughs> imprinted on your brain for the rest of the morning. Sally and I wasn't long married, and. It was one Saturday morning. I remember it well. <laughs> and she was making a, a fry in the pan for me. And for whatever reason, I can't even remember now. It was, I mean, I was talking years and years ago, because we we're married forty-five years. And uh, for whatever reason, I was just getting on her case. I was just nagging, 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 nagging at her. And I was standing right beside her. And she never spoke a word. She just took the spot. And just, bang! It <laughs> walloped me right across the jaw. <laughs> and I took it off her. And I broke it in about 20 pieces. <laughs> Flung it on the floor and walked out. And then after five minutes, you have to think about it. And then you had to laugh. How ridiculous, how stupid was that? You know, it was just... But just in the heat of the moment... Of course, you're all great saints, and nothing like that would, whatever happened to you lot. You're too holy to do such things. But it was now before we were saved. I have to, I have to admit that. <laughs> now, to others, the home is a, just a place of pride. Now, pride in the wrong sense. Pride in the sense that for them, it's a house, rather than a home. It's it has to be out of the showcase, I mean it's like a show house and you I mean you don't even sneeze in it and woe betide anybody who moves a, a pillow or a cushion. And So the, the house then becomes the be all and end all, which is what really meant to be. And then to others it's, it's a prison, it's a place of intolerable loneliness. And drudgery and boredom, a prison without bars, it has become. Place of confinement and restriction. And yet the scriptures say, but he blesses the home of the just. Let's look at some things that are found in the home of the just. Nothing startling here, but just a reminder. Love is found in the home of the just. Now I talked just a couple of moments ago about me nagging my wife, but not trying to stereotype, but nevertheless, usually it's the woman who are the nags. (laughs) That's fighting talk, isn't it? That's me on the pot noodles for lunch. Now I'm not talking here about women having to remind their men to do things. Because you do a lot of that. And not, not, without, not without just cause, I have to say. It's like the man said to his wife, you don't have to remind me every six months to do that. I heard you the first time. We can be a bit like that, but I'm talking here about fault-finding, nitpicking, griping, complaining, incessantly. Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Proverbs 21 and 9, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And then he goes on to write, that's not far enough away. Proverbs twenty-one nineteen, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a <laughs> contentious and angry woman. There's just no escape. Now of course Solomon who wrote that had a thousand to contend with. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Now, man, this is for us. And all the women said, Amen. <laughs> Sarah, that was a very weak amen there. <laughs> and you looked at Brian as you said it. But you didn't really mean it, she didn't. No, it's okay. 1 Peter 3, 7, listen to what Peter said. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Ah, there's a different dimension, isn't it? It's very possible that as men, our prayers are not being answered, or being delayed, hindered, because of how we treat our wives. Remember, Peter had a wife. So maybe he had to learn this lesson too. But how we treat our wives as just men will have a reflection on how our prayers are being answered. Peter's saying that God will actually withhold answers to our prayers on the basis of how we are treating our wives. Apostle Paul, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. That's a high standard, isn't it? To love your wife as much as Christ loved the church. It's a very, very high standard. Then verse 33, he says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so, Peter and Paul are saying that we're to love one another. That we are to love ourselves. How much do we respect ourselves? To that degree and more that we should respect our wives and love our wives. And we're to love God and we're to love our wives as much as Christ loves us. And so love has got to be the basis for the home of the just. Now that doesn't mean to say from time to time that we don't slip up and that we don't uh, do things that we shouldn't be doing. But nevertheless, in spite of all of that, the, the bottom line is that we should be loving our wives and loving our husbands and loving our children. Every home is going to be the home of the just. Love has got to be at the center of it. Wisdom is another thing. Proverbs 14 and 1 says, Every wise woman builds her house. Wisdom builds a house with discretion, with careful planning, with proper budgeting, and with prudence. Proverbs 19:14. Houses and riches are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. What is a prudent wife? A prudent wife is one who acts sensibly, wisely, skillfully, industriously successfully. And if your wife is like that, then your home will be a blessed home. Now most women, not all, is the same as most men, not all, because we can't put everybody in the same bracket, but most women wants to build the home. And they want to do it sensibly and wisely and industriously and skillfully. And most women are good at that. There's something that's inbuilt within a woman that's good at building the nest. Isn't that so? It was left up to the men. Dear knows what it would be like for most of us anyway, me especially. My wife and I are two opposites. I would be very untidy. And she would be the opposite to that. You know, I would have books and stuff all over the place. And I was out in Friday night preaching somewhere. And I come back and she had moved my office. It's upside down. I don't know where anything is. When she got me out for a few hours, she went to town. Because she couldn't bear it. The trouble is now, I had a wee pile here, and a wee pile there, and a wee pile there. And all those wee piles into one big pile. And I haven't got a clue. I'm going to have to sort to hold that out. What you think was her idea in the first place? Let's just mess it, really mess it up, and he'll have to fix it. But most women are like that. They they really can do something wonderful uh, with the home. Of course, I've got to read to you. Obviously, at this point, Proverbs thirty-one. But the virtuous woman, and I'm going to read this from the the New Living Translation. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is worth more than precious rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will not hinder him, but help him all her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for the servant girls. She goes out to inspect the field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Hey, this woman's got some money of her own. All you tight-fisted husbands. This woman has got some money of her own. She can go out and buy a field and plant a vineyard. Her husband trusts her with the money. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker, She watches for bargains. I believe that a woman has got a special gland in her nose (laughs) to sniff out bargains. Usually we men are useless at this, aren't we? But a woman can find a bargain. Her lights burn late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fibre. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter, For her household, because all of them have warm clothes. She quilts her own bedspreads. She dresses like royalty in gowns of finest cloth. And all the ladies said, Amen. (laughs) Her husband is well known, for he sits in the council meeting with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She's a businesswoman too. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs with no fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule when she gives instructions. She carefully watches all that goes on in her household and does not have to bear the consequences of laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but Jews surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all that she has done and let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that true? And so the home of the just has got love, it's got wisdom, it's got the peace of God. Now not just the absence of strife, but the peace of God. This is more than just a cessation of hostilities or some kind of a truce in the home, but it's the very peace of God that's in the home. Now over the years I have, especially in the past, done quite a bit of travel and preached in other countries and have stayed in many, many homes. remember one particular trip I, I woke up one morning, I didn't even know what town I was in, I'd never mind what, where I was staying with, because there had been that many, I was in like nine different beds in four or five weeks. But having travelled and having stayed in many homes, I can tell you, when you go into a home, I mean, within hours sometimes, usually within a couple of days, you can sense whether the peace of God's in this house or whether it isn't. And sometimes, you know, when you come into the house because you're a visitor and you're a stranger, best foot is put forward. But if you're in there for a few days or a week, and you become part of the furniture, and the defences are down, uh, then you can sense the tensions in the air. It's crackling sometimes. And I've stayed in houses like that, and let me tell you, it's not very pleasant. And you don't feel overly welcome either. But you go into other homes and the peace of God permeates it. And it's just a place where you find comfort and rest and you feel welcome. They do everything to make you feel welcome. And what a difference that makes. Is the peace of God in your home? Is it the home of the just? Then there is the provision of God. Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I'm old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. Provided we're not lazy or indolent or work shy, God can and God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 And so if we're in the home of the just, and there's love in our home, and there's wisdom in our home, and there's a the piece of God in her home, then there'll be God's provision for us. Sometimes we're tested. But at the end of it, God will provide the blessing. And if we've been faithful in our giving to God, God will make sure that He returns and He blesses, and He'll find a way to do it. And then, of course, there's learning to compromise Now, when two individuals uh, get married, you have two people who, in some cases for years, have lived uh, their way. They have their own views on everything. How they do it, and how they think, and how they act. But then when two comes together to become one, as the Bible says, a lot of adjustments has got to be made. Sometimes massive adjustments. Because no longer can you live just for yourself how you used to live by yourself, doing it your way all the time. Compromises have got to be made. Suddenly you have to consider the other person's view and it may be radically different than your view. And so you better get used to that. And all kinds of things then filter into this equation. And all of them have the potential for irritation. Now you're not too long married. Until you begin to find that there are certain things that will irritate. And that goes for both parties. And you have to learn how to adjust to that. Now of course the longer you're married and stay married successfully, the more you have adjusted and you learn to adjust. But it became quite difficult at the beginning. Our tastes are very different. Tastes in furniture are different. Some people are IKEA people. Some are DFS people. Some are B&Q people. Our tastes are very different. So you have to learn to compromise. Young men get married especially. It's not the first time I've said to young men getting married. By the way, you go out to work one morning and you'll come back and everything will be changed in the living room. (laughs) Everything. It's will be over there where it used to be there. Don't say anything. Don't say a word because you'll come back the next night and it'll be all back again. (laughs) So don't have a rye over that. It's just your wife experimenting. You can't figure out why. You have no clue. The sativa is perfectly fine where it was. Why would you change it? But it's a woman's prerogative. She likes to do that. She likes to change things. Sometimes I say to Sally, why did you buy that? She says, well, why not? (laughs) Did we need that? Well, you don't buy everything just because you need it. Because <laughs> you like it. Different. It's a different mindset entirely than men, isn't it? So you have to get used to those things. Our food is very different. Jack Sprat could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean. Remember that wee poem used to say? Food has become very, very different. Again, I'm, big confessions this morning. My wife and I are entirely different food eaters. I mean, we could just have two different dinners on the table because we're entirely different. And that's okay, you learn to adjust to all of that. Why not? Our humour is different, isn't it? Most men and women's humour is different, or humour. Some people likes corny humour, other people like subtle humour, some people's dry humour, some people's just, I mean, they just never stop. Like Raymond, the jokes just come one after the other. There, don't they? If you want to know Irish jokes, Raymond's your man. He's got a million of them. But our humour is very different, isn't it? So you have to learn to adjust to all of these things. Are you a negative person or a positive person? Are you a glass half full or half empty person? Do you snore in bed? <laughs> Well, we'll not go down that road. Do you leave the toilet seat up or down? (laughs) That can be the cause of many words. Do you squeeze the toothpaste from the end, the middle, or the beginning? There's a thousand and one things, isn't there, that can cause irritation. And you have to learn to adjust and just say, well, that's just the way it is. Provided it's not something that's really, 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 really bad. But just little things. You just say, well, that's the way it is. He's never going to change there. She's not going to change. Live with it. Get on with it. Don't fight about it. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13, again the New Living Translation says. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Somebody says their partner, when they have a ride, they don't become hysterical, they become historical, they dig up the past. <laughs> they keep no record of when it has been wronged. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. I find that First Corinthians 13 is probably the most challenging chapter in the New Testament. Isn't it? Excuse me. It really, really is. And no matter what translation you read in it, it's still challenging. But it's God's word. And Paul wrote that for our admonition. So that the home of the just is a home where there is love and there is wisdom and there is the peace of God and there is the provision of God. And we do learn to, in a good sense, compromise and that we keep at peace with one another. Bill Schreidler said, There must be a giving and forgiving attitude on the part of the husband and wife. The success of a marriage will depend upon the degree of willingness to defer to the desire or taste of one's mate. Choosing to honour and concede to your spouse's desire or choice will eliminate many irritations and produce unity. God blesses the home of the just. Let us as believers, let us who have the home of the just, let our homes be an example to others. So that when other couples who are about to get married especially, look at our lives, that will give them something to admire and to look up to and say, see, it can work. It really can work. Because many young couples are looking around today and they're looking for role models, or they're looking for some encouragement to say, does this thing really work? Yes, it can work if it's the home of the just. And we put principles into operation. Listen, let me just say something here. Might as well say it out loud. There are many unbelievers who have got better homes than believers. Isn't that true? There's people who doesn't even believe in God. And they have a happy marriage. Why is that? Because they're doing the things that makes for a happy marriage. There's principles. And there's people who are believers. And it should be the home of the just for them. And it's just a, like a boxing match. It's not the home of the just. Why? Because they're not putting principles into operation. So let for our part as much as lies within us. It takes two to tangle. So as far as what lies within us, because we constantly, and I, another thing I tell young people that are about to get married, don't think when I get married, I'm really going to change him or I'm really going to change her. You really need to change yourself. That's who needs changed. Because you're about to enter into that relationship where your whole idea is, I'm really going to change them. When I get married, I'm really going to change them. That's a recipe for disaster. You need to look at yourself and say, what is within me to change? And if they, the other person has to be changed that much, then you've got to question yourself, well, why am I doing this in the first place? Amen? So let us, as the just today, let our homes, our marriages, as much as lies within us, our families, let it be a model for others that can look to and say, see, it really can't work. God can really bless this. And so that we're encouraged. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. The Lord. Lord, we give you thanks that family is your idea. We thank you, Lord, that whenever we do put you first, whenever we do apply biblical principles, then there is much blessing in the family. Much blessing in the home of the just. So we thank you for one another. We thank you for the family of God here. Much blessing in the family of God. Thank you for the wives, the husbands, the children that you have given us. Help us to honor them And respect them. Help us, Lord, to lift them up. Help us to be a blessing to them. So we stop for these moments and we give you thanks. And we bless you. Thank you for coming into our lives, for making the change in our hearts, for giving us a love and appreciation of our families. So we give you thanks today. And Lord, as we come now around the table of the Lord, we think of these emblems that are before us and what they represent and how much you loved us that you were willing to give even your own Son to die for us. Father, what love is this? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming And sacrificing your life. What cost, what a price, what a death, what payment, what a ransom, all for us. Lord, we're humbled to think that you loved us that much. So we give you thanks. And in a moment as we partake of these emblems, we pray for that lovely sense of your presence to be in our midst. And as we reflect upon what we have heard today, and as we reflect upon your great love for us, and how you want us to love our spouses as much as you love us, Lord, give us the grace and the strength to be able to do that. That they may be blessed, that you may be honored and glorified. So thank you for your precious blood that was shed. Thank you for your body that hung upon that cross. Thank you that you became our sin offering. And you give your life in exchange for our life. Thank you for paying the price in Jesus' name. Those who are going to serve, if you could come please. said, for this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, that person is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking from the cup for if you eat the bread or drink the cup unworthily not honoring the body of christ you're eating and drinking god's judgment upon yourself that is why many of you are weak and sick and even some have died whenever the corinthians got together they didn't wait on one another. They would have a love feast. At the end of it, they would break bread together. Some of them wouldn't share their food. Some of them got drunk. And so they were eating in an unworthy manner. It doesn't mean that if you're a believer that you're unworthy never be worthy only Christ can make you worthy to partake of this so we are going to partake we will drink of the cup and eat the bread we will thank Jesus for what he's done we will thank him that he has made us worthy not we ourselves but he has made us worthy to partake of this It's the only reason we can do it. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your supreme sacrifice.